Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to episode 79 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Today's guest is the founder of Autism Fitness and co-founder of Stronger Than You Equipment. That is Eric Chesson. And I really enjoyed talking to Eric. I don't talk to this dude enough. And he's doing some important work within the uh, area of training people with uh, autism. And that might be considered on the spectrum. And we learned a lot because this is not something I'm super familiar with. So I'm excited for you to hear about this one. Let's talk about me as usual. Hey, if you like this show and you've listened to three or more, three or more episodes, do me a favor. Scroll down on your app your podcast app and drop us a five-star rating. I would love you for it. If you want to do a review, that's awesome. Uh, Let's just get the show out there, not just for me, but more importantly for the guests. Um, Cats like Eric, people that have been on the show. uh, When people reach out that they've really connected with a guest or a piece of content from a guest or a thought or an expression, hit that up. It helps get the word out. Drop a rating. Thank you. And then let's talk about workshops. I'm not gonna go through the whole list because I think that might be super boring, but let's go through some of these. You can find out all my courses and training information at coachfury.com, but something I'm excited about, April 28th, master, fellow master DVRT instructor, James Newman, uh, my brother from another, is gonna be co-teaching with me for the first time in years, a DVRT workshop at our good friends at the Kettlebell Fitness Center in Albany. So come on and check that out. It's a four hour workshop, April 28th, and you get Fury and James Newman teaching that one. It's gonna be awesome. And then June 9th, Original Strength back at MFF Bowery. The last one sold out. Don't miss out on this one. June 15th, OS is at MSE Strength. We're heading back out to Tina Morin country uh, at the new location in Norwell, Massachusetts. That's June 15th. And then I'm home in time for Father's Day on the 16th. July 20th, July 21st at DVRT Level 1 and Level 2 at Momentum Fitness. Come join us for that. August 18th, HKC at MFF Bowery. Then September 7th, Original Strength is at ACWA in Tulsa, where we're going to get to hang out with my buddy Dustin Ripito. And then the following day, September 8th, we're going to do DVRT Workshop at ACWA. Then I'm taking uh, some time off to go to the DVRT Master Trainer Summit, which I'm excited about out in Vegas. Then October 26th and 27th, the RKC at Catalyst. Now look, this one's almost seven months away and we're almost half sold out already. That doesn't normally happen. Don't miss out on this one. The last RKC at Marco's was epic and let's just keep this fun and momentum and learning growing. That's coming up October 26th and 27th at Catalyst. And then there is other cool stuff forming. Lots already going into 2020, which just makes me feel really grateful and lucky and blessed to be able to even say that right now as it's March. But uh, anyone that's actually taken a show, uh, taken a course with me, thank you. I can't stress enough that teaching is one of the most enjoyable things that I do. I love having the opportunity Uh, I'm surprised I have the opportunity to teach courses and certifications uh, and just thank you for coming to those. And hey, speaking of like and coming to learn stuff, come down to Fury Industries over in Gowanus, South Slope, Brooklyn. Come and try a class, do some personal training, or if you need some help on your own coaching, but you don't live close, online coaching, Die Mighty Online, I'm here for you. Again, all of that stuff is at coachfury.com. Enough about me. It's exhausting. I'm exhausting. (laughs) 
Eric's got a lot of good stuff to say on this one. Welcome to episode 79, Eric Chesson on the Coach Fury Podcast. Let's face it, too, in the creation of the show, there are better fitness podcasts than my show, like the Fitcast or whatnot, but uh, I just wanted people to get to know uh, a, a little bit about the personality and the fitness philosophy and interests of the person as opposed to just trying to, like, I don't know, purely yeah. solve problems or sell products, I guess is a Create good... Create an online program in 60 minutes. <sighs> Let's do it. <laughs> We've got our mission. Uh, well, first off, uh, congratulations. You got married recently. Thank you. I did. Uh, we are actually one month and five days into, into the marriage. I had to troll your Facebook to be like, I know they were engaged, but did they get married yet? And I trolled and I saw the pictures. Uh, so congratulations. Thank you. It's, I put up no personal information, uh, virtually no personal information on any of my social media stuff. All of my social media stuff is business. And I've had people say um, in consulting situations or business advisory, Oh, you know, you should let some of your personality and some of your, uh, some of your social life and your home. So I'm not going to do it. My my private life, and I'm very happy with my private life. But my private life is my private life, and the people who need to know about it need to, uh, you know, know about it. And everybody, I I get no glee from sharing what I'm having for breakfast. I don't. If someone. Someone who really cares about my breakfast is probably going to text me about it or is eating it with me. So the most important part of this podcast is going to be, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great question. It's, it's a fine starting point. And I think much like uh, tea leaf reading, you can get a really good sense of whom a person is, uh, whether they're eating free range eggs or whether they bought six dozen because they got a deal in no. It's <laughs> um, congrats. Your wife's awesome, by the way. Thank you. She, she would show up at some of the BNI meetings. And yes, she was telling me. She was telling very, me afterwards. Go ahead. She'd speak very kindly. I mean, I'm like, you're misguided, clearly. <laughs> she was saying to everybody else there, don't you know who he is? Which is such, I think it's, it, it's often a, a hallmark of the fitness industry too. And it's, it's, I always think of it as airport famous. Right? You can be famous in a, or well-known in a certain segment, but you walk into an airport and is someone gonna know who you are? And that's not necessarily that they should or that it, it's a hallmark of anything um, noteworthy, but you look at the microcosm that is the fitness industry or the strength and conditioning industry, however you want to differentiate the different factions or, or areas. And online gets very strange compared to reality. Not, not that it isn't its own reality, but you walk outside and things change a lot. And I found with me, I'm, I'm so constantly doing that I don't take a pause coming full circle, I don't take a pause to say, oh, I'm having a lot of fun. Let me make sure everybody knows that I'm having fun. I, I never do that. We, um, my wife and I, Shani, we went to Croatia recently because I was teaching uh, the autism fitness level one certification. And I think I took all of six pictures. 
I've been doing less and less yet. Yet I'll take a picture of like, I just got this GI Joe toy or I'm about to go see this Marvel movie. I take pictures of that stuff. Yep. Uh, there's a couple of things. Let's go back on this. Cause you said something that is, I think very valuable for people to hear. You mentioned airport famous and I want to, I want to uh, dig into that a little bit because I think it's very true. Uh, listeners. Yes. I have a podcast named after my nickname, coach fury podcast. And clearly that is more recognizable in the fitness industry now than my real name. If you were to like, oh, I trained with Steve Holliner, right. we'd be like, maybe one out of 10 would know it in New York and maybe seven out of 10 know me as Coach Fury, right? Again, not everybody knows me, but you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon in Kettlebell World, I'm probably around there some degree. Sure. So there's that, right? There's, do you know, so if we take what Shawnee said at that, meeting. So folks, this was at a, a BNI meeting called uh, BNI is Business Networking International. It's actually a pretty amazing organization. You pay to be a member of a chapter. There are chapters international. So say Eric was a real estate lawyer and I was a mortgage guy, whatever the <laughs> mortgage lender, whatever you call That would be uh, your business card too. A mortgage mortgage guy. But say I did mortgages in our chapter, he would only have that seat for being the real estate lawyer and I would be the only person there. Now there might be a divorce lawyer as well, but like you have these things and, and the goal is to get to know each other and refer business to one another in a very um, sincere way, not just because we're in the group, but because we can actually like, I've gotten to know Eric. There's rules in terms of like, you need to go and have a certain amount of one-on-ones, you do presentations, so there's that. And it was really a really good learning experience, uh, how to communicate your message, how to get to know people. And for me, and this isn't at the expense of the group at anything, and, and it goes to what Shawnee said is, folks, like, we try to be airport famous on social media, but we got to get past the bigger point that most people don't know what the fuck fitness really is. No. You can no. say fitness. So if we go to the airport, we go to one gate, and we go, what's fitness? They might say uh, fitness is yoga, right? You might go to a different gate, and fitness is going to be that uh, something they saw on, you know, Shark Tank, some mm -hmm. some gimmicky thing. Right. Another one's gonna say Zuma, Zumba. Another gate's gonna you know say Orange Theory. Somebody's gonna say CrossFit. Somebody's gonna say barbell lifting. Someone's gonna say bodybuilding. But if like you look at the term of like what I do in particular, which I would imagine translates a lot to what you do on your own, mm -hmm. it's gonna be like strength training, mobility yeah. work. You know, it's 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 a combination of strength, power, movement, really focusing on form. And yeah, you might have a, more of a strength focus. You might have more of a fat loss focus. But between those disparities of like center points, the main goal is pretty much the same. Sure. You try to sell that in a room or explain that in a room and they have no idea. So when I was getting lead generation, it would be like I'd be getting some crazy out there things. And that was actually a really good eye-opening call because as we market each other and we're spending all this time on social media um, – you got to go like, is this message actually coming across? And I think more often than it, than it's not. I also want to unpack airport famous because this still happens to me sometimes when somebody gets all like rah, rah about a set of initials being better than another set of initials. Uh, guess what? Nobody in the fucking airport cares what your kettlebell cert came from. They care that you can actually deliver and train them safely. Now, I, I want you to go through an RKC with me, but if you can't go with me, I want you to go to a cert so you know what the fuck you're doing. But like in terms of like valuing that on a higher level, um, in terms of an identity, I think that's weird. It, it, it's how well are you, Eric? Like, I don't know if you have a trainer, sir, but I know you're a great trainer. Like, I don't need to see that 
piece of paper because we've had conversations, we have similar friends and peers, um, and the little bit of what you do I see on social media from a business perspective yep. really helps me. But again, your business perspective alone wouldn't be enough without me knowing you somewhat. Does that make sense? Oh, I, absolutely. And there are a few items. I'm, I'm making uh, mental notes on, on things to go back to also. And be, uh, talking about BNI, BNI, I was a member for years, and particularly when I first started, even be before my, my business was called Autism Fitness, uh, when I was operating as a business called TheraPlay NY, because I thought it was cute, and then I changed it to Autism Fitness. But I started out at one of the BNI chapters on Long Island, and then I got the opportunity to kind of uh, to move around a few BNI chapters. Sometimes they have people sit in or they have guest events, mm -hmm. et cetera, at, at BNI. And as you mentioned, there's a seat for, for each vocation. Or, you, you know, if you have five different lawyers, you can have five different lawyer seats, but only one person is going to take that seat. And I've met a few trainers there who I thought, my God, if I had to, if I had to promote this person's services to somebody else, there's no way. They just happen to take the the personal trainer uh, seat in that BNI. And how much are they going to be vetted when they come in? I don't know. How much proof is there going to be once they start training people? Again, I I don't know. Which comes back to the point also of how valuable it was for your BNI chapter to actually have you in there as opposed to we know what most of this industry looks like and that's not coming from a place of condemnation I think it's coming from a place of there's a very low no no pun intended there's a very low bar to entry in, it's, it's, at, it's very true, very true. In, in our field and what that means is it creates a lot of confusion within um, within general spheres and people, for the most part. And please, I you know if if you dissent or, or disagree, people don't know what to ask for. They say, okay, I want to lose fat or I want to gain muscle, right? But beyond that, and when I was in um, Croatia, we had thirty we had thirty two people in that certification. And what was really thrilling and sobering at the same time for me was everybody there who had a personal training background or a kinesiology background, had a four-year education, understood biomechanics, had what we would call credentials for it. And even if we can say, well, you know, that, that creates more rigidity around it and you know, someone goes for, for a four-year degree, but then they're not specializing in kettlebells or they're not specializing in body weight. Yeah, but they can later. And that's what further certifications are about. But their baseline knowledge is a hell of a lot better than our baseline knowledge, speaking from an industry's perspective. You know, they're starting out, the bar for entry is a lot higher there. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. I see. I came up the other way, where I came up more like I got good at kettlebells, I got good at this, just because of my own interest, and that's what I built my training around. And then that still sort of holds today. Obviously, I've, I've picked up a lot of interest, but this as a second career, um, right. I see that. And I, you know, I have a lot of friends that have gone through full blown college programs, and you know, there is that 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 that, that sort of 
odd block where a lot of it isn't instantly applicable to a training situation. Sure. But having a baseline of information is, is huge. You know what I mean? So I think it's not to be dismissed. I think people are getting caught up. I think we're actually in an interesting point in fitness right now where there's enough sort of broader scope coaching education happening, like CFSC, for an example, yeah. that or Strength Faction is a great example as well, that maybe you could pick that up through one of these programs. But the other thing that is when we talk about college for certification, college, you're at least in it for a while. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's like you have people that come through a, a cert or a handful of certs, and it's like instantly there's this... It's two things that I've noticed. This is, and I haven't really unpacked this yet in my own head, but like you have people that just take certs and all of a sudden think they're super qualified. And then on the flip side, you have people that are fitness enthusiasts that have gone through stuff, invested in a lot of personal training that think they're unqualified. And there's a weird line where that enthusiast is actually probably going to make the better coach versus the ego of like, Oh, I've got this. I know everything. Um, And it's interesting. The last bunch of certs over there's always, over the last three years, I don't want to name drop them because I don't want to make them feel weird, but there's been, been a few people that were like, you know, like we do a name game, like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? What's your favorite Keanu Reeves movie? And, you know, there's this like, I'm just a, a you know, I'm a, I'm a fitness enthusiast. You know, there's been a lot of software programmers lately mm-hmm. and I don't really think I'm going to train, but then you see them coach people and their heart is so behind what they're doing Yeah, that you're like, you make a great coach. So stop drawing this immediate stop lowering the bar on yourself, I guess, versus there's this air sometimes of this over empowered person, male or female that comes up and you see them work the room and you're like, you know what? You don't really move that great and you don't communicate well. Mm. So you have this knowledge, but what the fuck good is it if you can't communicate it and relate to people? Cause let's face it, like a big part of what we do is the science of like, you know, what are we trying to do and the application of it, the safe application of it. And the other one is, creating the trust that the, the person we're training actually believes in us that we're going to follow through. Right. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. You know, like I just trained a woman, uh, June, I'm calling you out now. Cause you did an amazing job at your RKC cert. She was well literally, like, I'm not a coach. I, I'm, I'm going to be bad there. And she crushed it. She got like one of the highest, like sort of teaching highest amounts of teaching feedback on just how well she did. Part of it is just, she loves what she does. And she certainly invested like a ton of time and money into it to, you know, you, 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 you work with a good coach, you pick up, I was her coach. Um, but she spent months training with me in person and online and she had heard all the cues and she'd seen me solve all her problems. So it was very relatable versus like practical application area of like, I just have these theories, but I haven't trained enough people. And before I train enough people, we mentioned online programming. I'm, I'm going to do an online program right now mm-hmm. <laughs> before I've actually tried this on humans in person where I can course correct on the, on the fly. It's a really interesting time right now for fitness education. And I think it actually is an interesting time for education overall because we have access to stuff we never had the ability to get before. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I guess it's like the heart behind it and the mindset to apply it. We can even go into you know, a nature nurture discussion there. If do people have the innate skills to, to coach, for example, some of the best coaches that I've seen uh, or, or been able to work with when I've had a, a few groups of uh, adolescents and teenagers on the autism spectrum in, in programs. And we've had peer mentors who are the same. These are 
high school kids, you know, in their senior year and they're doing their, their community hours and they either have a sibling on the autism spectrum or they're interested in it. And they are, I, I've experienced some of them being the quickest learners because they're coming from it without ego. They're not coming into it thinking, I'm going to be a coach. They're coming into it thinking, I'm taking instruction and then I'm using it. I don't know if that's their exact internal dialogue, but that's what I see happening. Uh, two other I examples that, that came to me while you were talking. Uh, one of my very close friends, Matt, is a speech pathologist, and he, uh, he competes in strongman also. And he'll, we'll train together once every few months. His coaching cues and his way of explaining things are better than the majority of professional coaches I've ever worked with, talked to, been in the presence of. And he's just rattling it off. And he has, as far as I know, no intention of professionally coaching anybody. He's going to continue to, to yeah. work with his you know, speech, uh, speech clients and, and teach speech pathology. But it's, it's extraordinary how well he gets his, his cueing across. And then one of, one of my uh, best autism fitness certified pros and, and one of whom is, is, um, I'm very proud of is uh, Rebecca, who's my intern, who's been with me for about five months now, sh initially just shadowing the first month or two and then starting to work with some of my athletes. She went through the certification program, but because she's been there you know, at one, once a week for the past six months, she can coach now. I mean, I, I watch her and I'm able to stand back and pick up my phone and go on Facebook Live or pick up the GoPro because what I, I think what we need to shift to and what we need to understand fitness coaching as is really an apprenticeship model. Yeah. It really is. And is, is the rote or scientific background information or education valuable? Absolutely. You should understand how the shoulder girdle works. You should understand hip flexion. You should understand um, eccentric and concentric. You should understand all of those things. But in order to apply them, you should study under somebody who is doing that and yeah. doing it at a high level. No, I fully agree with that. And, and I think, you know, in terms of your friend, the speech pathologist, mm -hmm. it, it, it's good teaching is good teaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and finding the right cues is the same way of finding the right explanation. Uh, and, and it does come down to that connection. It, I heard a podcast. This was really interesting. It was a little off board, but like Alan Alda, you know, from MASH, the actor, one of the things he does now is he actually works with science groups, scientists to mm -hmm. be able to show them, help them how to communicate very complex scientific principles in an engaging and understandable way. Right. And I think that's like an amazing thing. And I think that's what, for me, a lot of the best coaches sort of do when I, when I see, you know, Josh Hankin or listen to Josh Hankin talk, you can take something super complex and break it down. Clearly what I think really made Pavel stand out at the beginning is Pavel could take something and really break down a swing in a three or four key elements. Mm -hmm. And the great ones do that. And then there's like the ego trip who wants to completely overhype, overexplain, overemphasize everything uh, all at once so I can prove my worth as a coach. And the ego thing's like an interesting one because 
I have certainly fallen victim to uh, uh, ego and, and trying to prove myself and, you know, in the early days. And, and, and again, it was the early days, you know, hopefully when ego's involved, we, we can kind of grow and learn out of it with, with experience because it, it's something that I, I perpetually struggle with where I don't have it in the room, but I do have these moments where I come back from like, you know, I come back from teaching certs abroad and I'm like, holy shit, check me out. And I come home and I'm like, where are all my clients right now? <laughs> you know, I have a couple of slow days. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? Don't they know? Uh, Where's my diamond encrusted sandbag? I know there should be a line out the door like Supreme in New York. I should be have a velvet robe of people trying to get Fury t-shirts and train with me. Not in that order, I guess. But you know what I mean? Yeah. But ego's, ego's a hard one. And I think that's, I think newer trainers having look, social media was there from the start for me, but the emphasis wasn't the same. It wasn't about, it was like, you know, you can write and maybe somebody will put it up or you can put it up on your blog, but it had more of a, a more of a destination than just perpetually putting things up on an account. And that's the part that I, I don't enjoy. And I think that's probably fostering the ego in terms of like, I've, I've got to prove myself, not just in my session, in my gym, in my workplace, I've got to prove it to everybody else that I get, get clients and that's kind of a shame yeah well it 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 also it keeps you sharp and i'm uh i'm a fan of stand-up comedy and i forgot who was talking about it but it was um a comedian turned you know actor who got very popular and then went back to stand-up as well and i'll remember the name of course after we're done but he said you have when you're famous and then you go back to stand up, you have one or two opening jokes that everybody's going to laugh at simply because you're you. Mm-hmm. But after that, and it might even have been uh, Seinfeld who said it. He said, after that, you, you lose that. Um, this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't recall the exact verbiage he used. But he said, after that, you've got to make it on your own. Or, or you've got to prove yourself because your fame is not going to carry you through a 60 minute or, or a 90 minute showcase. It's yeah. not, you get to, and I think it's similar with a coach also. Someone can hire a world famous coach, but if they're not getting results in three weeks, four weeks, then I don't think the name itself is, is going to carry anything unless someone is so, blind to the reality of this situation and one of the i i love this one of the built-in uh ego checks that i have is if i start working with let's say i i start working with a 19 year old nonverbal uh individual on the autism spectrum right they don't care who i am They don't care that I'm the founder of Autism Fit. They don't care what I've done the last 15 years. They they don't. It's It's not existent for them. So what I have to do is go in and improve every session for, you know, for them. I have to be completely involved in that session because who I, who I am as a business owner or as an educator means nothing to them and it likely never will and that's just fine because it means that i just have to deal with what's in front of me and that's making my athlete successful so that's a great ego check too yeah i mean it's 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 somewhat wonderful it's also 
not only allows you, but it sort of forces you to be in the moment, which is what we should all sort of hope for. Again, one of the things that I, one of the big things that I stopped doing is I stopped like recording my clients unless it's specifically for their feedback. Like I don't, I don't record my sessions or little bits anymore for social media because I, because I have really put it in that like this is their time. Mm-hmm. Form checks are different because sometimes like I can explain something, but if they don't see it, they don't see it. Right. But, but, but like really trying to invest and not even having that thought of like, this would be a post. Like, I think that's a weird thing sometimes that I got caught up with and just trying to really like not look at the clock, but like, this is what we're on. How can we get a little bit better? How can we keep this engaged? Mm-hmm. And how can I, how can I meet their needs while keeping them safe? Right. And hitting those results. I think that's really cool. And, and let's, let's talk about this. Cause one of the cool things, and I didn't realize at first when I knew you, when, when I first met you, that, that this was a, a target area of your, of your training, yeah. is how did you get into working with, uh, is it, I would imagine it's both kids and adults on the spectrum, yeah? It's a it's, uh, great, great segue. It's predominantly um, teenagers and, and adults and uh, some older adults, too. My oldest athlete right now is 55, and my, the youngest that I'm working with currently is, is 12. Uh, I've worked with individuals as, as young as five, but the biggest misconception, and we were just talking about this in, we had our, our yearly meeting yesterday with our, our management and social media team. And one of the biggest misconceptions that people have, not just about um, autism fitness programs, but I think about programs in, in general for the autism population is that, oh, it's just kids or autism just affects kids. And it's a lifelong developmental disability. So the, the only thing that I ever have to refute, and it's an, a nice position to be in about autism fitness, is someone will post, oh, autism fitness um, uh, provides great fitness programs for kids with autism. And meanwhile, the video is, a, is of what is clearly a young man too. So I think it's so ingrained in people that, oh, any autism thing is for, for kids. Yeah, and there's nothing for teenagers and adults, but you're looking at an aging population. Do, do you think that comes up from like how the mainstream news focuses on things like uh, when you hear autism come up lately, and it, it's a disservice, but it, it tends to come with vaccines and it tends, it tends to come up with you know, as a parent right now, you know, it certainly comes up in conversation about schools and those, you know, those co-programs they have. Um, right. I'm forgetting the name of the, the specific name of the program, but where they'll have a couple of uh, potentially uh, kids on the spectrum uh, within the class of, you know, the regular class yep. and have an extra teacher there to help support them. So it's not disrupted in any way. Well, I mean, it might be disruptive, but like, I'm, I'm so fucking for that, but it's yep. interesting living in Brooklyn. You see a lot of a lot of wealthy parents like all like I don't want to say to pretend like I'm not caring but I don't want any interruptions it's like fuck you just right. so I've seen, I've seen both I, I've seen parents who are all about the inclusion and you know my perspective on it is it always needs to make sense if you have an individual regardless of their diagnosis who is so you know disruptive that the the situation doesn't make sense for them and it doesn't make yes sense. yeah I, I am just not for forcing stuff when it doesn't make sense so that you can prove a non-existent point yeah that makes that makes total sense actually but yeah it's it's i just find you hear more 
When you hear say like something with like about Asperger's, generally you hear that in the context of some entrepreneur or right. very you know wealthy person that was socially maladjusted, and and it almost is like this is the gift that made them famous. Right. You don't think of it as like the 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 the, the learning curve of getting to that point right. yeah like in terms of with society uh, well, and we, we have as human beings we have a bias to look at the exception as the rule and the reason that it's news think about it why is this a newsworthy story because every individual with high functioning autism is not creating a six-figure income yeah and then you tend to you, it tends to be you hear more about it with kids uh, for me i hear it mostly it tends to come up in context of, you know, vaccinations, especially how we had another outbreak of, of measles in New York for the first time in decades yep. yep. um, for people not getting vaccinated. And, and that tended to be the main reason. When we were talking about social media earlier and you and you were talking about connecting with scientists to get their message better, the the vaccine issue is a perfect example of that. The anti-vaccine movement has much better marketing mm. than the pro-vaccine movement because for decades and decades and decades, the pro-vaccine movement did not need a social media campaign because the proof was in the fact that measles and mumps and rubella were practically eradicated. So you don't need a marketing campaign. But then when you have an agenda, that agenda comes with, well, how do we turn this into a meme? And how do we create Facebook groups? I, why would you ever need pro-vaccination Facebook groups, right? Why? Do you think if there's, if there's a rising water? Do you think it's because there's a rising? Also, there's a rising distrust in like and and somewhat very warranted in terms of like you know the medical industry. In terms of, you know, we know about the opioid crisis now. And again, folks, I am not the brightest to talk about this stuff. But I don't remember as a kid hmm. hearing these like anti-health things the same way we do now. Hmm. Where, you know, you hear a lot about how we're being lied to, how there's been payoffs, how, you know, we're over-prescribing this drug. There was that fucking, what's the name of that guy that uh, tried Mark to raise? Spelling? Yeah. Yeah. He, he bought that Wu-Tang record. Did you yeah. hear that part? Oh, oh no, that was someone. No, Skrilly was the one who um, upped the uh, the AIDS drug from like thirty five dollars to seven hundred. I think it might have been him, or was it diabetics? Yeah. He, he was like a, it was like a young I, yuppie kind of kid, right? Yeah, yeah. There was a there's a there was a rare one pressing only Wu Tang yes. album that sold for like two million. Same guy actually bought it. Same yeah. guy, I think. I think it was so he could get a shout out too. It was. <laughs> But I think now there's like a distrust in that that we never had before in, in, in the same way. Like how you said, like people just got vaccinations because like, hey, look, I took my kids to get vaccinated because I believe in vaccinations. You know what I never had? I never had the measles. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm cool with that. Well, there, there's, and you just said something compelling. You know, it, we, we get back to this idea, which is, relative which is really old and then relatively new of, of belief and creating our own reality and there's also a difference between belief and proof now there are a lot of things in life you have the caveat of it depends right but when you have something that is so 
clear and verifiable and validated and validated across it's not just in america vaccination works it's in humanity vaccination yeah. work okay so we have this and i think the great unfortunate irony of the success of vaccinations is these diseases have been so well, up until recently were so thoroughly deadened that it gives people the opportunity to to start finding new ways to protest against a decent life it's so bizarre so it is bizarre it's like well you don't have to worry about three out of your five children dying from a measles outbreak so that gives you the latitude to start searching conspiracy theories on facebook yeah what what so coming in terms of the awareness and how most people tend to think that autism is, is more of a young person's issue mm-hmm. as if it just manages to go away with age which is not the case i mean it's something that gets better can get better um improve upon mm-hmm. but what what drew you initially into it and how did you sort of find that as as, as your demographic um, it's, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how, uh, uh, fascinating the story is, but I had, I was working as a personal trainer for a short time with general population, um, on Long Island. And I was attending a graduate school in general psychology in a program that I, I wound up leaving because it was way too research-based too. I said, I like clinical stuff and there's way too much research. But I had a classmate. Now, the general psych program was very based in behavior analysis and functions of human behavior. So in one of the behavior analysis classes, I had a classmate who said, hey, I know you're a personal trainer and I work in this uh, in this program with individual with teenagers on the autism spectrum in the city would you be interested in coming in and doing some programming for us because we've never had a an ongoing or a structured fitness program. So I, I was hired to work in this program, which was um, based out of Johns Hopkins Neurology Department, small satellite program in, uh, in New York City. And I started um, working with uh, the few teens in this program who um, also some significant cognitive and, and behavioral challenges and at the same time, within the program, I was undergoing very intensive training in applied behavior analysis, which has been um, demonstrated to be the most successful, the most proven and validated intervention for uh, education and, and positive behavior support protocols for this population. And as I, I suppose I'm trying to consider the timeline, but I guess about a year or two in, I decided, oh, this would be interesting to, to find a few more individuals who I could work with because in my doing whatever I could as far as due diligence or research into, well, what is what does science have to say or, or what experts have to say about fitness programming for the autism population? I found virtually nothing. I found general or blanket statements. Oh, fitness is important for all populations, the autism population included. Okay, great. Well, that doesn't help. That's like fitness is good. Like, just give me a paper that says fitness is good. Great. So the, the next thing that I 
recall is a, a behavior therapist contacted me and said, hey, um, she must have read either, either an article that I wrote or uh, some uh, piece of media that I, I put out early. And she said, I normally work in early intervention, which is typically three years old and under. She said, I just took on these two cases. They're two 12-year-old boys, and I have no idea what to do with them. Do you think you can you know, put together a program? I said, I think so. So that, that was my start. So it started with you know, these three non-children individuals on the autism spectrum, all with significant behavioral um, challenges, um, all with significant cognitive delays. And, and the one thing that I like to lead with, with re, uh, regard to, to my stable of athletes specifically, is I've never in 15 years uh, cherry-picked or have been selective about my athletes. Whoever winds up in front of me, that's who I'm working with. And it's been, that, that's been probably the, the most important part of my learning experience because whatever concepts, whatever strategies, um, whatever I talk about implementing has to work for any age level, any ability level. Otherwise, it's just saying, well, for your high functioning athletes, you can do this. And, you know, uh, and everybody else, well, you can't really do anything. So they don't get fitness. Yeah. So it's a, it's an inclusive approach to a niche population. What, what do you think you find is, uh, well, first of all, I just want to say, man, when I, when I found out that this is the area you were doing it on, like, it's fucking amazing. And I don't want to, you know, be all about the heartstrings or anything but it, it, it is something so needed and you know dealing with the situations that can arise dealing with your population it, yeah. it's not only uh very demanding it, it's emotionally obviously can be on one end super rewarding but also very very draining um it, it's a hard one but it's a necessary thing to be a part of and i, and I just I commend you on that, not trying to blow smoke up your ass, Thank but you. I, when, when you first launched the cert, um, which I haven't been able to do yet, but I was just like, this is, this is a fucking game changer for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. I just think like, it, it's an amazing thing. In terms of training with, you know, and again, not cherry picking, yeah. which aspect of this is the sort of the, the, the biggest hurdle to heap, uh, to, to jump over? Is it the yeah. cognitive issues? Is it more behavioral? Because I know um, uh, I don't have a ton of experience in, yeah. in, in working with kids with autism, but it seems like the behavioral is a tough one because it, it's a little bit of like a potential landmine where everyone on that end, mm -hmm. you know, like if somebody comes to different, I guess what I'm trying to say is people come in yeah. it, it, with different yeah. cognitive levels, you can always find a like progression, regression, almost like a normal or try to modify a cue because we have a simple, you know, like a, yeah. a specific goal, a hinge or a deadlift, right? But yeah. when you have behavioral issues, the, the triggers that might cause a negative effect on the person yeah. uh, can be a little bit all over the place. But is the cognitive aspect or is it the behavioral aspect that you find is the biggest challenge? And then is there something that you found that sort of crosses the divide um, mm -hmm. in handling one of those challenges? That is such a, a great question and, and so well worded also. What I realized is I was starting to put a methodology together. And it's when I look back, I 
there wasn't really an aha moment. It's not, I wake up on a Tuesday and say, okay, I need to put a methodology together. Now it's a lot of it was in, in writing and putting together my thought process on, okay, I know that what I've been doing is successful with my athletes. What exactly is it that I'm doing? Because on a very foundational level, what am I doing? I'm combining with, I'm combining what I, what I know to be true about um, strength and conditioning and movement with the, the tenets and the concepts of, um, of applied behavior analysis and positive behavior support and coaching and cueing. And I'm putting it together in, there's a system here. And at some point I recognized that you can break this system down into three things. You can break it down into the physical, the adaptive and the cognitive. So the physical, the question we ask, what can you do with relation to this exercise? So if we're talking about a squat, how low can you squat? What does the stability look like? What are the compensations? Is there fatigue? What are we looking at? Just how well can you squat? Which is, it, it seems like an open-ended question, but then you put criteria to it and you can say, all right, well, I can assess this. Because if you can't assess it, then you don't know if you're progressing it or regressing it. So you have the physical. You have the adaptive, which is the behavioral. So how motivated is an individual to participate? And I don't even get general with it because if you say, and I get this, I, I get this email frequently enough, a parent or a, an educator will email me and say, oh, my student or, or my son or my daughter hates to exercise. Okay, great. You, I, you haven't told me much because what is my definition, and this comes back to what we were talking about you know, in, in the beginning of our conversation, what is my definition of exercise versus what is your definition of exercise? Yeah. So we need operational definitions in place in order to really know what we're talking about because we could be, and, and a lot of the time they're talking about, oh, we put uh, this 12 year old on a treadmill for 20 minutes and they hated it. Oh, great, no so shit. would I. Right? <laughs> that, that's a crap litmus test, my friend. Yeah, it's like, uh, they don't like standing. How do yeah, you know? I exactly. put them on a board of nails yeah. and had them, we had them do. We had them do 25 sit-ups and they didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, I have some solutions to that. So you have your adaptive. And, and then, and I, I will definitely answer your question uh, after I covered the cognitive. So the cognitive is not even, again, if you speak in generalities, you don't get much. So you have... You can say, oh, they're high functioning cognitive or low functioning cognitive. It really doesn't mean a lot to me until I'm working with them because I'm, I'm just looking at cognitive functioning in the narrow definition of can they follow a one-step direction verbally? Can they follow a two or three-step direction if I'm giving it verbally? Uh, or do they need more of a kinesthetic or physical prompt, or can I give them a visual prompt? For example, a lot of my athletes, if I don't do this overhead, they won't lock out a press. They'll go halfway or three quarters and then bring it back down. So they need the visual cue. Um, the goal always being to fade the visual cue so they can master it independently. So you have your physical, you have your adaptive and your, your cognitive. And I structure everything as a, as a flow chart. It's all contingency based. So getting back to your question of which one is the most challenging, it's always going to be the, the adaptive or the behavioral. Because if I have an athlete who in their first session or if I'm doing an assessment with them, 
is so off task. They're wandering around the room. They're, uh, you know, they're falling on the floor. They're trying to, to get out the door. I can't develop a good sense of what their physical capabilities are until I have some cooperation on their side. And again, I have processes for, for getting, um, for, for getting uh, compliance or getting on task behavior also. And recently it's fun because I've had uh, a, n not too much, but a, a few remarks about, and not, not in a negative way either, but saying, oh, it looks like you're working with, you know, higher functioning or really motivated athletes. And my response to that is, oh, you should have seen their first session. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is where we are now. I'll show you the video of them six months ago. And that's not there to prove how good a coach I am to, but what it really signifies is what's possible when we do things in a, in a structured, proven, validated way. And that's the only reason that I have a, a certification because if I just had a magic wand and if everything were the me show, then you know I could, travel around the world and say, oh, look how good I am at coaching the autism population. But you, you, can, you can do two things. You can be special and only you can do it, or you can have put something together that is valid and a lot more people can do it. And I would always choose the latter because then I can create something that other people can use to empower their athletes or you know you create the biggest ripple i mean that's yeah. one of the things I, I i love about teaching courses is there's only so many people you're going to be able to train there's only so many people i'm going to be able to train but you show five other people to do it mm -hmm. and then you know they share it and then you show you know they show somebody and it's just it, it, it's a big impact and again mm -hmm. uh not that any one demographic or population should be valued higher than others but i think that one is clearly underserved right oh. You're not seeing a whole lot of social media posts about this where, you know, uh, in terms of trying to address that. As people get, as you see your crew uh, perform better, like, say like six months if you saw them then, do you see an improvement as opposed to just their overall health uh, and fitness, obviously, but do you see the behavioral changes start to occur with that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I... So one of my athletes who I've been working with for five or six years, he's up on my, my Facebook a lot, um, Adam, who just turned 14. So our first sessions were he, him running all over the first five minutes of his sessions were always, um, always a little bit of chaos. It was not to any you know, severe, it wasn't um, aggressive, it wasn't self-injurious, but it was a lot of him walking into, into the crash pad on the wall, falling on the floor and giggling. It, it was a lot to, to onboard him into the session. A few weeks ago, uh, he comes in with, uh, with his mom and we, uh, we hadn't seen each other in a while, so we were catching up. He walks into the room and just starts doing hurdle steps. All right, without me prompting him at all. And there are a couple things going on there. Number one, and this gets into all three areas of ability, and this is why I teach um, the PAC profile, that physical, adaptive, and cognitive. From a physical perspective, he is already competent with the movement. 
with the hurdle steps. He's able to do it. He can do it independently. He can go, right? From an adaptive perspective, he's motivated enough. I don't know what's going on in his head, but he's motivated enough that he's going to go do hurdle steps without me telling him. Hmm, that says something. I'm yeah. not going to make grandiose claims about it, but I didn't tell him to do it, and he's doing it. And from a cognitive perspective, he understands the expectation for that particular activity. You step over the hurdles, and then either you turn it around and do it again, or you move on to onto something different. So with, with him, it's a clear demonstration that something good has, has occurred. And we can look at the measurability of all three ability levels or all three factors there. From a physical perspective, he's developed the skill at a mastery level because he can do it without me prompting him. From an adaptive perspective, again, he's motivated enough that he'll go do it. And then from a cognitive perspective, he understands the, the expectation or the performance of that particular skill. And that's where I think my working or, or our certified pros working with our athletes converges with working with any population, whether they be general neurotypical population or sports-specific athletes. What do we want them to do? Master the skill so they can generalize it to new situations. And you see that right there. It's amazing. Um, when you're, when you're running your sessions, do they tend to be more one-on-one -on -one because of the potential behavioral demands? Yeah, we, I, I, in my own practice do a lot of one-to-one -one, and then I'll do some small group, like two-to-one. I've had some three-to-one. I've also had the experience of running, uh, although I'm not doing it right now, uh, la larger group programs. And we have, uh, many of our certified pros are also running uh, group programs because they're adapted PE instructors. And it, it's funny because just this morning, uh, David, my business manager and I were talking about in the level one certification, adding more information about what to do when you're working with groups. Because if you're an adapted PE instructor, you're, you do not have the luxury of a lot of one-to-one. -one. So how does a group differ? Um, I won't, I won't give away all of that right now, but you're going to differ in a, in a group as, uh, as, as opposed to a one-to-one -one situation by actually doing a lot less. You're going to get a lot more out of doing a lot less with a, with a group simply by way of, look, if, you, if you're teaching somebody a bear crawl, for example, right? Do you want them doing one bear crawl in a session or over the course of a 60-minute session, do you want them doing 20 bear crawls? Mm -hmm. Why? Higher. Because they're getting... Yeah, they're getting more exposure to the movement. They're getting more movement competence. And they're understanding what, from a kinesthetic perspective, they understand what the movement feels like, right? So in that case, more is better. So you have to look at, do you want more exercises or do you want more practice with the same exercises yeah. so that the mastery actually develops? And people are surprised when we start this, when we start the level one certification weekend in the first hour, I think and I'm not 100% sure, but from the feedback that I've gotten, a lot of people are skeptical about the fact that we are only teaching 10, maybe 11 exercises, because the goal is not to have, oh, this robust, we're teaching 50 or 75 different exercises for the autism population. Because if you're teaching 50 different exercises to most of the athletes or any of the athletes that I work with, they're going to receive no benefit from it, other than they're doing a lot of stuff. But if I teach a squatting pattern, um, a medicine ball push throw, rope swings, a bear crawl, and then carrying heavy shit, they're going to learn it. 
right? And if that's all we do, great. I'm going to have mastery. I think that carries over into all programming. You know, I I mean, right now there's such a, there's a new group coming into town, big and heavy. And apparently Mark Wahlberg's just backed them up. Um, Mm -hmm. And and they they market themselves by like, you know, every, every, every workout's different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know if like, that's like the best things folks. Like it's actually good to learn a skill. You learn to read by repetition. Uh, You learn to drive by repetition, not by randomness. Like, (laughs) It's so fucking weird how we apply that. Yeah. So that makes total sense to me. I, I know in, in kettlebell land, sometimes, you know, people are like, why would I pay that to learn three exercises? Well, how about really knowing how to fucking do three exercises really well so you could actually teach them, coach them up? I, I refer to those programs as any which way but strong. <laughs> I'm, I'm right. I, I have to trademark that at some point because there's really, where, where's where's the learning curve and where is, I mean, if you want to go literal, where's the strength curve also? So if one day you have, you have an untrained or a detrained person, one day they're squatting, one day they're lunging, um, one day they're doing a, um, a rear foot elevated split squat, or if you want to get fancy with it, the Bulgarian yeah. split squat. I, okay, great. They're doing all this stuff. What are they actually mastering to a level of competency or accomplishment to? What, what are they mastering? They're doing a lot of stuff, but I could do a lot of stuff all day. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. I could, I could walk into a different tile on the floor of a bank every day. It's not making me money. I'm in a bank. Great. Very true. You can walk into a gym, work on every machine, different machine every day for 30 days. You're not going to get anywhere. I used to do it. We well, won't. here's the thing. You'll get somewhere to a point, right. and then that point ends. That's that's the yep. trick. Um, I wanted to follow up, and I'm spacing out on a moment. Yep. Uh, one of the, actually, I, I remember what I wanted to ask. One of the things I've noticed from your posts is it does seem like you gamify a lot for your athletes, like mm. making it almost more more play like. Is is that a fair assessment? With some things too, and that's you know it, it's a it's a really good topic of discussion. And it's one of, I, I have two slides in my presentation, in the level one, I have fitness and sports and I have fitness versus sports. And when we look at, so we're, we're looking at a population that has a lot of difficulty with abstract concepts and with, um, with game theory and also with, uh, competitive situations or situations in which the rules are constantly changing, right? So if we, we can, we have to always gamify, we always have to program to the level of our, of our athlete. So, and, and that's where I think competitive activities don't really make sense because most of my athletes don't care about winning or losing or scoring points. It, it's a non-factor. I could get excited about it, but my excitement doesn't necessarily translate to theirs. So I want to meet them where, where they're at. And that's really, it's, it's the art and science of empathetic coaching, not empathy from, oh, you feel bad. Well, then that's okay. And it, it's okay. If I can get into their world, they don't care about this. So you can see what you're probably referring to is the cone carnage game mm-hmm. or the cone game where they're, where they're knocking down. So 
we have, you know, on Sunday, Michael and Andrew, at the end of their session, they're playing Cone Carnage. We set up, we've decided now after years that it's going to be 26 cones because that's just a good number of cones in that room. And each of them has a Dynamax ball and they're throwing the ball at the cones and trying to knock them down as quickly as possible. Superficially, that's what it looks like. Michael really wants to knock, knock those cones down. He's all about getting a score under two minutes. Um, Andrew is all about standing in the blue circle when he's knocking down the blue cone and standing in the green circle when he's knocking down. The time is immaterial to him. So you have two athletes, and, and fortunately, Michael is very cool about Andrew playing literally his own game with this. So you have to be really careful about what is your perception of this situation versus what is their perception of this situation too. So I'm not just going um, to <laughs> to to steal the line um, from uh, oh man now now I'm oh to, to steal the line from Rick James during the uh, the Rick James episode of of Chappelle, uh, I'm not going to do something just to do it. Uh -huh. And then <laughs> still stomps the couch with his muddy boots, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do something. I'm not going to say, let's, uh, let, let's do a race just so I can say we did a race. I'm going to say what makes sense for these two right now with respect to what I know about their cognitive functioning and, the, and their level of motivation. And once I have that, I can structure an appropriate activity around it, but I'm not gonna do it just because I say, hey, you know what would look really cool on Facebook? <laughs> no, I think, it's, I think it's a great way to look, you know, as coaches in, in any environment, everybody gets focused on external or internal cueing, you know? Yeah. And I think when you can make a point out of gamifying or play, however you wanna verbalize that, where it has an intent, Right. Yeah. I mean, not that everything has to be super purposeful. Sometimes you can just goof around like uh, strength action programming right now, Fury Thursday. At the end of the workout, they have to dance like Patrick Swayze and Dirty Dancing for like mm -hmm. two minutes. There's no real reason other than I think that's yeah. fucking funny and I want them to right. dance in class. Um, take a moment to not take yourself seriously. But when you're targeting and you're working on that, like, so you're, you're working on the hand eye coordination, you're working on the power development. And yeah. when you gamify something, again, even with that freedom. And I actually quite love how you describe these. They're, they're both kids in their teens. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're, they're so, their, both of them are in their late teens. Yeah. How, how these two kids are making their own version of the game. I mean, talk about running your own race in MFF terms. It's fucking beautiful, but they're also doing a lot of work knocking down 26 cones with a ball yeah. in, in two minutes or being hyper-focused to sniper, right? Like, yeah. I'm in this one. I'm going to hit that one. Like that, that regimented order is, is wonderful. And I think that's something that enough of us coaches don't do in, in even with our uh, adult clients that don't have, you know, um, uh, that, that aren't, what's the best word to say? I don't want to say like on the spectrum all the time. What's the, what's the best phrase for those of us that don't know to, to use? I, I don't want to sound like lesser than what's, what's a good phrase to use. Well, you have your neurotypical, and then you have your autism population or your population with developmental disabilities. Okay. All right? Neurotypical. I'm all, for, I'm all for highlighting people's strengths, too, but people get into this word Tetris where they don't want to say the right thing, you know, they don't want to say the wrong thing. And, you know, now there's a movement for people who want to call them 
themselves neurodiverse, which is fine, but that's also for the people who are interested in calling themselves anything. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure Andrew and Michael just want to be called Andrew and Michael. Andrew and Michael. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, I think it's a, we certainly, no matter what category you fall into or identify, is this a, it's such a big phrase now, identify? How do you identify yourself? Right. Um, not to be dismissive of it, but it, it is another thing. I just, it, it's interesting. I've never had like uh, as detailed a conversation. Um, I have never heard the phrase neurotypical before. So this is actually, yeah. I think yeah. like super useful. Um, but I think the programming things like that for anybody oh, yeah. could be super beneficial. Yeah. But again, when you're dealing with cognitive um, books that might have cognitive issues, it's such a great way to like get work done and improvements by, by making it so simple. Like it's not a fitness thing. We're doing this. You know, it's a fitness thing. They don't necessarily. And you know what? They don't need to give a shit. Just like they don't need to give a shit about being there. They just put the work in, have fun doing it. It also gives us as coaches, it gives us an opportunity to see things generalized too. So when they're, when they're doing, when they're throwing the medicine balls to knock over the cones, I can say, okay, how well is this, uh, medicine ball push throw generalizing to a situation that's not necessarily static. So what am I seeing you know, from a compensatory perspective? Oh, I see that ball as they fatigue is starting to gravitate towards the dominant shoulder. I'll see shit like that and I'll say, oh, okay, this is what we can work on when we get it back into a, you know, a more structured situation. And it also makes me think of the one program that I ever published. I don't even remember where I published it, but for, um, the general population, I, I called it generalization training, where I, I think it's very valuable for the, for the general neurotypical training population. If you can overhead press with multiple objects or squat with multiple objects. So you get used to squatting with you know a, a kettlebell in the goblet position or two kettlebells, great. Squat with a sandbag. Now squat with, you know, with a bar. Being able to handle multiple implements because for general population, you're look at, really looking at two things. You're looking at body composition and you're looking at injury prevention. And deadlifting a, a bar off the floor is fantastic, but a bar does not mimic a bag of groceries and a bar does also not mimic a grandchild. So if you can pick up, so, if you can pick up a sandbag that's maybe three quarters the weight of that of that barbell, that's pretty good too, because the barbell is designed to be picked up. The sandbag is not really, even if it has handles. That's one of the big ahas people have when they come to like, especially the DVRT workshops. Yeah. Uh, uh, just the reality of how heavy an 80 pound bag of sand is to press, even yeah. if you've got like a double 53 pound kettlebell yeah. press, because it's just awkward. It wants to come down in a very different way. But the deadlift, like I just made my first uh, in a long time, hundred pound sandbag and just wow. hauling that thing up the stairs. Yeah. Man, it's just mean. And it's a hundred pounds. Like I can carry a 53 pound sandbag in either, in, in either, uh, sorry, uh, kettlebell in either hand with ease people miss that. And I think it's, I, I actually love that you said it because I think people get so fixated on, well, this is the right one. This is the right one. This is the right one, but the body should adapt. And this comes yeah. to that, like, you know, the randomness versus actually building skill levels. You build competency in a squat in one way, you should be able to do it with a different implement or at least have the time to adapt to those different things as opposed to just yeah. constantly throwing new squats at you 
So right. you can't fucking figure out exactly what it's going to do. Yeah. yeah I quite love you, Eric. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Yeah. I, and, and thank you too, for the opportunity. And, you know, even with, I love uh, strongman stuff too, because, you know, uh, I think a lot more heavy stuff that people have to pick up is more like an Atlas stone and less like a barbell. And with an Atlas stone or something like you look at a 120, 150 pound sandbag, you're not holding neutral spine in that, but you're learning how to brace if you do it correctly, you know? Yeah. So I would never, ever advocate someone learn how to deadlift a bar with um, spinal flexion. But once you can do that with, you know, body weight, I don't know what the exact parameters would be, but I think it would be also important to lift up a heavy, a heavy non-conforming uh, object. Um, I think I just described you also. As a heavy non-conforming <laughs> object? <laughs> that might be true right now. Uh, I think it's... um. How you mentioned barbells are, are designed to be lifted and in, in some ways even that design is a little bit random like it wasn't like there was like a scientific optimal length described for this is how high a 45 pound plate should be or this is how long a bar should be someone just sort of sent a, a sent yeah. a bar. it's the, uh, the like guy with, the guy with the machine shop decided that sometime, sometime. yeah right it's like gi joe's fig, action figures being three and three quarter inches tall star wars figures yeah. basically the guy basically uh, ran randomly like lifted his thumb up Instead, it should yeah. be about like this big. And that right. became like an industry standard, three and three quarter inches. I mean, right. if you think about it, just like. And 45 pound plates. Yeah, yeah right. Probably, that was the mold that was in the factory, man. It, 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 it was 45 and it had something to do with the cost of steel in 1921, you know, and then after, <laughs> you know, World War II. And that's what I love about history is you look at the factors that created what we take for granted as this just is. Yeah, this just is because one day someone's uncle said, I'm gonna make the mold to this specifications and now it is law, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting when you when you go back and, and you realize, you know, as, as you know, again, when we go back to talking about education, how we love to overcomplicate things too, how some of these big things that people like ride or die against, kind of random. You know, it's like very random, and but we've created systems and structures around it so that they're no longer random, but at that starting point, very random. And yeah, it's interesting. The thing that I like about auto object lifting and, and kettlebells have this to a degree. Um, sandbags definitely have it. Um, but it's that idea of when you're atlas stones. I haven't actually messed with those folks. If you don't know what an atlas stone is, picture big round rock um, that is just super heavy. And yeah. it's got no handles. So like in terms of actually being able to keep a perfectly neutral spine, good luck with that. Cause you actually yeah. have to kind of curl around it a bit. It's a little bit like I did a barrel training certification with John Brookfield where you're, you're mm. kind of hugging, pushing, pulling a barrel. Uh, and it was an amazing workout. Cause those things, you know, not only do they help reinforce the concept of bracing, you know, your core to support the spine, but they also promote like that reflexive need of bracing to support your spine. Like, People forget that, like, if Eric, if you were going to try to kick me in the stomach as hard as you could, like, at some point, as long as I see that this is going to happen, I'm actually going to brace for impact. And, you know, it's reflexive. It's just going to happen. I'm not just going to sit there as relaxed abs as possible and let you hit me with, without it. So certain types of those odd object lifts have to reinforce that reflexive end of it so that when you are putting, like, the quote-unquote hard style or powerlifting, um, uh, 
techniques on on top of a neutral spine you, they, they meet in the middle you have that nice yep. multiple ways of accomplishing a task as opposed to just saying telling somebody like tighten your abs oh yeah and uh i i i have to promote uh dynamax here also dynamax makes an atlas ball so if you've ever worked with you know one of their standard dynamax medicine balls okay they make one that their atlas ball i believe is 24 or 26 inches in diameter and they range from 70 pounds up to i think they have a 180 or a 200 we have a 120 pound one or no we have a hundred oh, i think i saw a video of you and yeah it was maybe joey with you yeah yeah, yeah yeah yep. man yeah i don't know about that i've never messed around with them i've never had they're, access now they're fun and they're they're safe it's safe too because you know dropping a hundred pound uh you know concrete atlas stone on your foot probably not going to be in the best interest of your um of of your insurance bill but the the dynamax one is a little more forgiving too now it if it if it if, it, if you drop it on the floor it's soft will it will it hit yeah you? it's soft. yeah amazing yeah it, it's a it's a great piece i think it's such a sleeper piece of equipment because you look at it and you think ah the application isn't going to be but we we have people in the gym who look at it and then just say all right, I'm, I'm going to go. But even if they can just shelve it, you know, on, on their knees, yeah. I mean, that's a great way to teach a squatting pattern and then hold it statically. Uh, we actually, we were, ours has been, I'm, I'm not a big namer of, um, of, uh, of non-living objects, but we refer to that uh, Dynamax ball as heavy D. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I like when you get to explore and just play with stuff too. You know, I mean, it's kind of like limited, like how crazy you're gonna get with it. But uh, I, I just think that's cool. I, I got gifted, so I was just at Original Strength Pro over the weekend, and uh, Tim Anderson beautifully um, sort of passed along, gifted me a uh, Vertimax uh, Raptor, the wow. Dugan one. Uh -huh. And uh, man, I. I have just, I've only, I only got it up last night. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, I got it up on my, in my gym, <laughs> on, on my pull-up bar mounted and started playing with just loading like resets and dead bugs and bird dogs with it, man. Yep. And it's insane. It, but again, it's like, all it's doing is reinforcing that reflexive response. I'm not like power breathing. I'm not, yep. I'm just simply trying to control my limbs. <laughs> You're just doing it. Yeah, like I'm in a good position and I'm just trying to perform it and just by having some added resistance and trying to implement control, hey, good shit happens. Yeah, and uh, there's an element of play in there too. And, and play is really important when we look at, there's, there's definitely time for structure and there's time for unstructured activity too. But the more, you, the more you accomplish in the structured time, the more you can execute in the unstructured time. So if we're putting together an obstacle course you know, it's fun and it's random to a degree or we're playing tag. Well, if I have a really fast sprint and I've been working on that, I'm probably going to be better at tag. If I've been working a little lateral movement, a little, you know, hurdle drills, probably going to be better at cutting when it's time to tag somebody. So I think the two worlds of structured training and, and play training there's definitely a lot of convergence. I think in life, there's a lot more Venn diagram than people think. I completely agree with that. Um, I just think if we, if, we, if we try to train people only with 
super rigid technique and technique is, you know, look, it's, it's made for safety first and mm -hmm. then it's made for, for result, right? Like this yeah. is the optimal technique to do this and hit this result safely. But then yeah. in the world, like if that's all you end up and you don't apply anything else to that, well, you, you know, like you're not really able to express yourself physically. You've done this thing. You can do a good deadlift, but how does that apply to the rest of your life? Yeah. And I just think in play and, and in other sports and, and, you know, just I went skateboarding while I was out in North Carolina. It's like that's where the carryover. That's what we should be yeah. to, as yeah. opposed to now. Again, if you're a competitive power lifter or whatever, kettlebell sport right. person, that, that's a little different. But for most of us, it's just like so we get good at this, so we can do other stuff. Yeah. Um, well, d development affords you options, and you can look at that in any area of life. You can look at it in strength. You can look at it in in financial success too. You know, if you have more money in the bank, then you can, you know, if you have more money in your business, you can test, okay, I want to, you know, um, I want to hire a marketing team or I want to, you know, hire someone to, to put together videos for me or, so, or something like that. It, or, you know, even, oh, I can go on vacation because you have a more robust pool of something, whatever that asset is to choose from. If I have a 410 pound deadlift, um, then I can afford to pick up something that weighs 38 pounds off the floor with not perfect form. Because I, I don't know. I'm kidding. Huh? <laughs> I don't know. Form police. Not yet. Yeah. Not, not all totally. the time and not making I'm a kidding. habit of it, but I can, I'm going to have a lot more latitude. Completely. Completely. It that. has a payoff. So you're building up this reservoir of, of options. Hey, and yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's it. Hey, before we go, because we've been talking for a while now, this yeah. is actually going really fast. Stronger than you. You're still yes. doing it? You're still making yeah. stuff? Yeah, we so, are still doing Stronger Than You. Explain to the listeners uh, Stronger Than You. Stronger Than You. Um, I, I felt like I didn't have enough to do during the day, so I decided <laughs> to uh, to combine forces with a, a partner and, and create a new company. No, Stronger Than You is a... Um, a small batch strength and conditioning equipment company that came out of a love of creating really high quality, really usable products um, with myself and, and Ryan Pitts, who's the, the founder of Stronger Grip. And if you're into grip stuff, if you're into custom maces and Indian clubs, there is nobody better. His work is, is sick. And there's a, a, fantasy comic book feel to everything that he does he's he's brilliant with that as a as a metal artist and so i started a while back i bought a pair of his indian clubs and i was i i, I just the 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 feel and how they were balanced and and the the artistry and the design behind them was extraordinary so i started just designing stuff randomly uh, for him to make and at some point he said, you know, what? let's just start a separate company and you and I will get together and, and and Start creating stuff. That was a few years ago and Now we have our two flagship products are the gut wrench, which is the easiest way to describe it is it's a a Minimalist approach to a landmine. Yeah, it's a steel ball You can fit on the end of a barbell you turn your barbell into a rotational tool single arm presses get-ups. Um, we've come up with some really cool complex variations with that. And, and then we have our walking sled, which is a combination 
farmer's walk unit that can also be used as a drag or uh, or push sled on the floor. The bear walk, uh, the bear walk complexes alone that you can do with it are are worth it. And we decided on a few things with the company. Number one, everything would be manufactured here in the United States, and two, we were manufacturing stuff that we ourselves would use in training. That's how the company started. And everything. The third part of that is everything has multiple purposes, and we wanted to create it for people who either are small gym or strength and conditioning facility owners for people who have garage gyms or trainers who travel a lot too, because the gut wrench is three and a half pounds. You can throw that in a gym bag and travel wherever with it. The gut wrench I haven't seen in person, but in the videos like that yeah. is, I, I love landmine stuff, especially mm -hmm. for the, you know, anybody that's potentially limited with their overhead, uh, yeah. overhead mobility. Yeah. It's really cool. And that design is just so simple. Uh, folks, it's like a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not spoiling it. The patent it's out. He owns it. Don't do this. Uh, yeah. but it, it, it's just, it mounts to the end of the barbell. It's a ball oh, yeah. and it's got like a rubberized bottom. So you can do uh -huh. all the pivoting stuff with it without having yeah. to go on the whole, like picking up the big metal fucking plate or making an yeah. attachment to a rack and then sliding yeah. it in. It's just such a simple thing that it, it, it's almost like the no dumb moment of like, why hasn't that been done before? And I'm glad that it's you guys. That, that's the anger that comes our way all the time is why didn't I think of that? And, <laughs> you know, no, I'm, I'm almost accused of being dumb. Because it's that's so stupid, simple. Why didn't I? Like, well, you might have. We just did it. And, and the sled's really cool. The carry sled. Those I have seen in person. You've brought yeah. those to a couple of strength faction things to, yep. to, to show yep. off, and, and really cool. And and I'm bummed because like I know you made a couple of batches in Guana. So are you still doing those out here, or have you found we another? Are, board? We have our last run that we did in Gowanus. We are uh, we are switching over to some Midwest manufacturing um mostly so that ryan can ryan can him being the expert in this can oversee all of the all of the quality production the the last three we have a few left from the original run and and they're great we stand by them uh for the next run we wanted to do them closer to ryan so that he could oversee all the all of the production and also from a shipping perspective too, getting into the intricacies of business, it's a lot better when you have a centralized shipping location for something that weighs more than 15 pounds. Oh, I can only imagine uh, cost like of one of the coasts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Amazing. Well, hey, uh, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? They can go to autismfitness.com. And we do have a level one certification coming up in New York, um, June... First and second, Saturday and Sunday, and that's on the site there. So right in the heart of New York City, and all of our upcoming level one certification dates are there as well. Um, and then we also, if anybody's interested in hosting a certification, we have a, a host form on uh, on the certification section. And then for stronger than you, it is stronger than you, the letter U, not the word. Dot com um, and the gut wrench and the walking sled are there and uh, April 6th we're actually going to have a table at the stronger experts um, uh, seminar in New York City at hype gym so we'll be there on the Saturday and we'll and if you want a gut wrench there let us know because <laughs> no shipping <laughs> nice um, awesome man hey can you tell the listeners to die mighty yes if anything, in your death, die mighty.
Dude, what a great chat. We're going to have to have you on again. This went really quick. And, and I, I, I do want to, I feel like you're doing important shit. And it really, it, it struck me uh, in a big way when, when I realized that you would, this was A, your domain and B, that you were doing the certifications. I think it's really cool. Uh, June sucks for me because I'm teaching two weekends that, that, that mm. month. So uh, I won't be able to make that one. But I want to see, I'm certainly going to get the word out on the website for that one. But also um, keep me posted about New York. And, and yeah. maybe there's something that I can help with from the podcast to help really maybe bring that one home because I think it's fucking rad and uh, maybe help to demystify uh, what people might have hesitations about people, training people that are, are in that spectrum. So uh, thank you, brother. My, my pleasure, man. Um, and uh, if you want to come out to San Diego at the end of April. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's it's really hard. I, I find myself, and I forgot who I was talking about this. It's it's really hard for me to take stuff, even when I want to, only because I tend to teach one to two weekends a month. Yeah, and it's weekends with the kids, and the joint custody thing really that's where it kind of kills me because right. on the weekend I generally have my kids Thursday through you know Thursday through Sunday, so it's like it just cuts down. But this is one that I really want to do. And uh, we'll make a point to make it happen. But certainly- we, have, we have a bunch coming uh, coming up. I mean, I'm doing one every month somewhere all through 2019. We're booking um, 2020 now. Oh, I'm doing one up in, uh, in I think, August, yeah, in August, I'm up in uh, Hollyoak, Massachusetts, which is right outside Boston. Uh, all right. That's good to know. I'll check yeah. it out. But- yeah. uh, Listeners, check out all check out the sites. All this will be on the show details. You don't have to remember to write it down while you're driving or on the train or whatever. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. And Eric, thank you, man. And say hi to Shani. I'm very happy for you. Uh, solid couple, power couple. And uh, yeah, this was a great chat, man. I knew it was going to be fun, but yeah, I'm hoping this really resonates with a lot of people because I think there's some cool shit in there. Cool. Thank you for the opportunity, man. I've wanted to come on for a while. Oh, dude, of course. Uh, and thank you for waiting. We have been, Eric and I have been talking about doing this for a while. Uh, the thing that happens weird with the show that I, I guess I should just, uh, anybody that knows is I, I generally always have like sort of five people randomly, I, I just say randomly, like uh, coming up, but actually scheduling to make it happen is the problematic part. And uh, just finding out the times. And so things just get a little drifty. It's also since uh, I try to be as professional as I can on this, but it's also, uh, it's a bit loosey goosey in terms of that. Cause it's going around like, what is my schedule today going to be? Um, but yeah, I appreciate it, man. And I'm stoked to have you on and I'm, I'm, I look forward to people hearing it. Of course. All right. Goodbye everybody. The Coach Fury podcast is created, owned and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glenngurrieta.com, that's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A, or follow him on Instagram at glenngurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.